What's good, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. As always, Devin Newland here alongside Ronnie Flores. Ronnie, you just got back from New York City for the Geico National you know, High School Basketball end-of-season tournament, kind of crowning the you know, quote-unquote national champion of high school hoops. Um, IMG Academy, big-time run there at Christ the King High School. Um, they defeated previously unbeaten and Fab 50 number one, La Lumiere. Correct. Um, in the championship game, you were there front and center, Ronnie. Um, give us your, your biggest takeaways. Uh, yeah, thanks, Devin. Uh, appreciate everybody coming on again once again. Uh, IMG had a great run, as you said, three wins. They beat uh, three top 10 Fab 50 teams there. Uh, they concluded the season with a 66-55 win over La Lamere. It was, it was noticeable right away, and I mentioned it in, in the preview for the title game, that uh, La Lamere was going to not have as, as much uh, like foot speed or, or ability to get easy shots against these guys. They were just more athletic. Uh, they didn't have. They wanted to pound the ball inside to Isaiah Stewart, which they did, but they didn't have a, a really enough. Um, I, I thought firepower. Unless the guard, they shot at the guard position, yeah, right? At, unless they shot sixty-five percent from okay. the field or something. Yeah. So when they shot poorly, it was made. It's, and they still stayed close. So their credit, they still fought. Still, you got rebounds. You know, fought, kept them off the offensive boards. But when they missed a few shots in the second half late, and IMG was just off to the races. And I think if you were watching the telecast, Devin, uh, you saw if they got a, a step on their guys, they were gone the other way, and it was a layup or a dunk. Yeah, for sure. I think towards the end of the game, Josh Green had a couple of leak outs, and yeah. maybe two or three straight leak outs for, for uncontested dunks, and that kind of changed the whole um, pace and impact of, the, of that game. Correct, because Lalamir was a little pressing to find a shot. Right, right, right. If it was a two-point game, they would have pounded it, you know. But as soon as they had a shooter an outside shot or a shot that, you know, was a little under duress, uh, yeah, IMG was off to the races. Long, long rebound. Yeah. You know, off to the races, like you said, easy buckets. That was kind yeah. of the yeah. the theme of that that tournament overall is the team who got the best shots, the best high percentage looks because I watched yeah. the I'm Too Poor for ESPNU, so I didn't get to see that first round. <laughs> but I yeah. saw the semifinals and finals. Which were good games. Yeah, they're all good games. Yeah. Um, all The matchups were, were uh, put together very well. Sure. Based on, especially in the semis and in the finals, you know, the matchups were, were done nicely. Yeah, the top seeds went yep. advanced, At, so it, it made sense. Right, right. Uh, one of the things that, that, you know, we have Isaiah Stewart, one of the top five players in the country. We have yep. Josh Green, one of the top ten players in the 2019 class as well. Um, but the, the reason I like these these games and the, see these teams play against each other is you get to see guys who you might not know or need to be on your radar Sure. Uh, for the future, one of those guys who I saw who stood out was Jarius Walker, a freshman from IMG. Yeah, that that guy is going to be something else. He's yeah. big and strong, six five, real strong. Looks like a looks like a tight end or a linebacker or something like that. Um, yeah, I kind of made the comparison, especially when we were in New York. He kind of looks like Raul Alkins. Yeah, right? he does. He does. He does. But same body. Kinda, he, I think his IQ is a little bit higher at at the same level. Sure. You know, at the same period Stage. of time. Yeah. In development, he's just. I mean, he gets after it. He's a good passer. I liked him a lot. And then another guy who. You know, it's maybe IMG's top player in the tournament overall in its entirety and everything he does with Jaden Springer, a 2020 who uh, I believe is from Minnesota originally, uh, played football and basketball at the high school there. Now he's down at IMG. Um, what were your takeaways on Jaden Springer? Yeah, uh, Jaden, his father's actually from New York, so I got a chance to talk to him a little bit. And um, uh, he was a college player at Iona. 
uh, you know, high, high school All American, and it's and it's funny because yeah, he had two great games, twenty six points in the first round win, and uh, IMG had beaten Sunrise, which was nine at that time, sixty five fifty. So they beat them pretty handily in the first round, and then um, the semifinal against Montverde had twenty six points again. So they were down 16 entering the fourth quarter. It looked like Montverde was in control. Cade Cunningham hit a hit a corner three and pushed that lead to 16, and they were in control. And then Coach Sean McAloon told the guys, hey, we're going to press. We need to speed it up. We need to force turnovers. And he had really hadn't done it all season, and that's what he decided to do, and it worked. They got back into the game, and they actually pulled out the 74-73 win. Um as you said, Jaden Springer was making the right read on like ball screens and yeah. just pick and rolls in the fourth quarter. He made all the right and plays. It, he scored. Yeah, in transition. Dished. In yeah. transition, like you said, they, they force turnovers. But again, yeah. if you force a turnover, then yeah. you throw away the, the pass, make a bad decision, another turnover goes back the other way, or take a bad shot, and it's a waste of a possession. He was making all the right passes in transition after turnovers, which I think is yeah. a crucial aspect of his game. Yep, yeah, definitely. Um, he he did a good job. Jeremiah Robinson Earl had a good tournament. Every everybody knows what happened at the end of the semifinal game was kind of the viral play of the tournament. Yeah. So uh, they come down. Montverde has the ball. Cade Cunningham. The clock is running. They're winning. I guess it would be seventy three seventy two. You know. Right. Again, we've talked about this yeah. before, Devin. Like two two episodes, two three episodes before. Would you almost just let the shot clock? Run out, run out, and and throw a high arcing shot so the ball comes up high, or you just want to hit the rim to maybe give yourself a chance to, to get the ball back, and then that's the game. So, Cade Cunningham throws a skip pass to Moses Moody, and Moody again. There's a lot of fouls in that game, so Moody shoots the three. Yep. Uh, or or might have been foot on the line, but he shoots a, a deep jumper, and then the ball goes long, and boom, there we talk about off IMG, to the races, off <laughs> to the races, and Jeremiah Robinson Earl dunks on Harlan Beverly with like four seconds to go. And then, so they have the lead, 74-73. So then it looks like there's this commotion, there's pandemonium. Boyle, Kevin Boyle did call a timeout, but, you know, people didn't hear it, and, and IMG bench was going crazy. So it looks like, it looks like Montverde's going to sprint back the other way and get a good look, and Omar Payne goes in for Oh, he had a layup. It was yeah, a layup. It was a layup, yeah. And it, they had already called the timeout. Yeah. So then, I guess they didn't set up what they really wanted to. Uh, Kevin Boyle mentioned that maybe... Um, uh, Moses Moody had start the play too early. They didn't get the shot they wanted. Right. So, you know, IMG was able to advance to the finals. On the other end, uh, Lalamere had a good game with Oak Hill Academy. And Oak Hill didn't shoot very good from the field. He shot poorly from yeah, the field. Yeah, shot poorly from the field. And they had recorded a good win to open the event over Swasach. Cole Anthony, their, their under, uncommitted point guards, one of the point, top point guards in the country, had a really good game. Then he just, him and the other guys just didn't shoot too well from the field, but they still had chances. You know, at the end, you know, Kofi Cockburn is battling inside with, you know, with Isaiah Stern, those guys. They just can't tip it in. They get another sh- chance. The ball goes out of bounds. They get another chance. The ball's yeah. tipping. So then they call the timeout or set up a play with 3.5 to go. It was the same play Oak Hill used to beat um, Sierra Canyon. Mm-hmm. At the Bass Pro, you know, have your best player cut through, and then if if the defense goes with him, you have a corner shot three. Right. So Tyshawn Alexander hit one at the Bass Pro to beat uh, the Remy Martin, uh, Cody Riley, Sierra Canyon team. So they ran the same thing again. They ran it with Cam Thomas, 
perfect look. Perfect. It was, it was look. right there. Right, looked right like look. it was, yeah, yeah, looked like it was in. Cole Anthony, yeah. like you said, they set that screen for him, and he he, dive, he dived in. And he waited perfectly. He didn't yeah. go too early. Yeah. He he waited. He You know, he kind of jab stepped one way and cut the other way like you're supposed to do. The defense rolled with him. Yeah, he had a wide and, open and Cam, look. Cam Thomas got the look, and I guess, you know, the old kill guys were kind of standing in the press room there from our angle there because they were behind it. It looked really straight. Oh, it looked good. From yeah. On TV, it looked really good. Yeah, it was a good shot, good release, and it just was off, and Isaiah Stewart gets the ball, and he's happy, and he throws it in the stand. So they go to the final. And, uh, yeah, like I said, right away I noticed that, yeah, IMG was going to have to, um, if they got a lead or if they were, were forcing – uh, the Lakers to play from behind. It was going to be tough because they just didn't have a huge scoring punch. Keon Brooks uh, didn't shoot too well from the field in the final. But again, it's by necessity. You know, he's got to take a shot. Nobody else is really having the foot speed to beat guys off the dribble. And that's yeah. kind of what we noticed a little bit. I thought Devin will get into a little later in the in the final four. Yeah, and we talk about really good defense, but we also talk about where, you know guys creating a good shot and mm-hmm. not waiting for you know well Texas Tech and 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 or Virginia shooting right at the last few seconds of the shot clock. So that's kind of what happened to, to, to La Lamir. They were, the shot clock was going down a lot. And um, unlike Texas Tech, they weren't hitting the shots at the end, so IMG was able to pull away. So right. as we go into the what the, the concludes the high school season, as we're jumping into the grassroots season now, full bore, obviously there's a lot less live dates as we talked about that in prior so the final rankings came out on monday you can check them out on ballslife.com i'll have the um expanded version where all 50 teams are kind of compared to where i had them in the preseason and why i had them there and where they started so obviously the the something had to be done because we talked about before we brought jason jordan in who was in new york with me with other press press is uh you know mckeetron didn't go so they they were fat 50 number two in the previous ranking and they would have actually played the Sunrise team that IMG beat by 15. And that Sunrise team took um, McEachern to overtime. So very interesting how that worked out. It would have been, it would have been awesome if McEachern was there and beat. That would have given them 11 wins over Fat 50 teams. I mean, that team would have, that would have just been a great season. They had a great season anyway. They beat eight teams. But beating 11 and beating those guys at the end, that would have really been awesome. So they were number two. So obviously, uh, it was... Coming down to Lalamere, Montverde, or IMG, you know, if they win that, then I have to decide, okay, what who's number one? And um, because McEachern was number two, they didn't play. I just thought they didn't get hurt by the tournament, and the tournament didn't help them. The tournament definitely didn't help them. Like, okay, let's uh, jump a team that hasn't been playing up. You know, I, I don't do that too often, just like I wouldn't drop a team number one down without playing. You know, there's a million ways to different look at it. I thought at the end that IMG had um, defeated enough teams in the Fab 56, and all the teams that they beat were in the top 12, where McEachern didn't have those type of wins. You know, their best win was against um, the, the Trenton Watford team that we've talked about from Mountain Brook. I just thought uh, IMG had beaten enough good teams, especially with those three wins. They beat number three, Montverde, which is ahead of them in the semifinal, then they beat the number one team in the final to make them number one. So, um, you know, obviously it's a tough situation because McKeecher wasn't there so, and they hadn't played. Um, you know, I thought that give IMG enough victories. You know, what, what's your take, Devin? What do you think people look at that when you see that? Um, obviously there's no 
wrong or right answer. The only thing I do, the, the principles of I'm, if, if McKeecher's number one, I'm not going to drop them. Same thing with Hale. I, if they didn't lose, they didn't win. Right. You know, um, what, what do you think? I think IMG beat the number one team, team. Yeah. in the country yeah. on a neutral yeah. site yeah. on a big stage. So, of course, they, they probably had to jump to number one Yeah. Um, unless you want to put McKeecher number one. Sure. Um, because McKeecher was undefeated. Yeah. yeah. But again, they didn't, you know, they didn't go to Geico Nationals for various reasons. Um, sure. It would have been nice to see McKeecher in that field, though. Yeah. Um, so I think your one, two, and three are, are, are probably right. Sure. Uh, I'm curious uh, what your explanation would be for having Lalu below McKeecher. Um, I think because Lalamir lost a game on the court. Okay. And um, they lost it to a very good team. But uh, McKeecher is is undefeated still. Do you take but, into account, yeah. do you take into account like in, in your head, like uh, a scenario where put McEachern on the court, put Lalu on the court, what fully would healthy, happen? what would happen? Do you, do you run through your head like yeah, something like I, that? I, that would run to my head, but I try not to penalize a team that didn't play or reward a team that didn't play. Okay. Um, more than try to go through that scenario to, to try to, uh, Rank teams, maybe how I think in a in a betting line. Okay. Like, oh, you know, Devin, you want to bet $5 that Lalamir is going to beat McKeecher? Gotcha. Or, okay, I'll bet you 10 bucks or whatever. Let's bet lunch. You know, I would, I would look at it a little different. I just try to uh, make it make sense in terms of wins and losses, the results. So uh, at the end of the day, McKeecher had a really good season and a great season. I just thought if they would have went to Geico and won... That event, they might be the best team in Georgia ever. Ever, yeah. Yeah, because they ended up only beating one team that finished in the top 10, mm-hmm. which is Mountain Brook. So you just look at all these good wins. Well, you got to wait to the end to see how good they are. So then when you look at when you look at um, IMG, they ended up, all the six teams that they beat were ranked ended up in the top 12. Number three, Lalamere. Number four, Monverde. Number eight, Damatha. 10, Oak Hill. 11, Sunrise. Those are all, you know, teams in the top twelve where McEachern only beat one. So I think that was enough to, to to reward McEachern, and and I didn't really want to penalize, um, or hurt, or help McEachern by not playing. They just stood where they were. So that makes sense. I it, think I think it would have been a dig different if McEachern was number yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. What yeah, do you do? Sure. You know, I I mean, leave them. I I mean, I left Hale one. I thought it made sense. They they beat um. They beat Sierra Canyon, and Sierra Canyon had beat Lalamere that year. So, yeah. been an exciting season. It was a little great games. You know, obviously that cloud's always going to loom of what McEachern could have done or would have done. But you only gotta, hey, we 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 go on what happened and not so many hypotheticals. I guess we can do that forever. You know, um, kudos to McEachern for the great season they had. Lalamere too, um, in IMG Academy. Uh, I guess, you know, the talent, their talent level did really show at the end. I think, like we, we mentioned, it's coming into the game. Lalamir was going to have to shoot really good percentage from the outside. They didn't really get that done. And IMG's talent, the 300 McDonald's All-Americans, and you got Jaden Springer, you got Noah Farrakhan, who's kind of a, a spark plug. He, he's sometimes really up and sometimes really, you know, yeah. he, he's, he's, he's hit or miss, and he's a high-risk, high-reward kind of guy. So it all worked out great for them. And uh, kudos to IMG Academy for a great season and, and for all the teams that had a great year. Mountain Brook, Rainy School won the TLC, Moeller and C- Cincinnati finished seven undefeated. They had a great season. Sierra Canyon, 32-3. and three. Um, Sierra Canyon could have jumped up a little more, I think, if, if Montverde would have won the tournament, obviously with the two losses. To, yeah, two or three, their three losses two, were to Montverde. To Montverde, so that kind of dropped them a spot. You know, Oak Hill kind of salvaged their season. A bit by showing out good against Lalamere and uh, 
and winning the first round game because they didn't have the greatest regular season. Yeah. So uh, speaking of yeah. let's speaking see. of teams with good seasons. Yeah. Let's uh, uh keep national going. championship game last last night Monday night. Um, Virginia defeated Texas Tech 85-77 overtime. Um, they, that's their first ever. Either one of those teams would have been their first ever national first title. Ever so national congratulations title. to um, Virginia. Coach Tony Bennett does, does obviously does a phenomenal job, and Coach Chris Beard is uh, for Texas Tech is one of the best you know X's and O's defensive yeah. coaches In you're going to find yeah. anywhere at any level. Um, Ronnie, thoughts overall? I think for me, you know, people were expecting some slow paced non-offensive game sure uh boring whatever you want to call it defense oriented kind of like the super bowl this past year right um sure but uh for me i thought it was great basketball yeah um i'm with you i thought the first half was a little slow from a from a first seven minutes were slow from a viewer's point i said oh man i hope this game doesn't go like this because uh i like to see the game promoted and done well Obviously, I think it's not as big as Super Bowl, but that that Monday night is pretty much locked in. People are going to watch the game, so yeah. I think the true basketball fan loves loves a good college game. And I just think the the the, the regular Joes or the guys who are kind of on the fence are like, "Oh, who are these two teams?" So they could have learned. And the storylines, uh, you got to kind of create storylines because uh, I thought the tournament, like we mentioned, the season was so geared around Duke and Zion Williams' highlights, and yeah. so that kind of went out the door. And you were spot on when you said they couldn't shoot well enough. That eventually caught up with them. We talked about their two close wins. And then Michigan State um, hit enough big shots in that Elite Eight game. And they kind of, in the half court, as I, me and you had talked about before, they just didn't get it done. So yeah. uh, I saw that in this game. And then the second half, it became, this was a total half court game. I don't even know if there was a fast break layup or a fast break Yeah, point. I'm pretty sure it was a half with, game. with at least like five minutes left. I might be yeah. wrong on timing here, but with at least five or four minutes left in the second half, there wasn't one fast break point. point. Correct. So it still turned out to be a game because of the end. What I'm kind of interested in, Devin, want to get your take on is we talk about getting a good quality possession. Texas Tech got great possessions. So did Virginia. Uh, I thought Virginia even passed up a few good sh- first shots in the first half. I think Charles Barkley even kind of mentioned that at halftime. Every shot can be perfect. You know, obviously, you, you got to take a, usually the first or second good shot you see in a shot clock. But um, I just thought that Texas Tech is ironic because they were kind of down seven, down six, maybe even down, I remember, I think it was seven. And then they had to speed up a little bit, and then they start hitting shots. Yeah. So it's like, you know. What, Why aren't you going fast from the first from, from yeah, the get-go? a little bit. Yeah. You know, so what is your take there? And what did you see there at the end? Because obviously, at the end, they, both teams hit some great shots. You yeah, know, I mean, Culver, uh, Ty Jerome, yeah. you know, DeAndre Hunter Ky- is the Kyle guy. Guy, who's, yeah. DeAndre Hunter is a guy who stands out to me the most because yeah. a lot of the media or like mock draft or whomever yeah. Yeah. you follow or listen to were saying like he wasn't having a great tournament, and they were right. Yeah. He wasn't having his typical offensive production tournament, um, and he, his name was kind of maybe dropping as far as draft stock goes. Sure, um, but man. He hit that corner three on that beautiful drive and dish from Ty Jerome. Obviously, a defensive miscue, I guess, on on Texas Tech. Yeah, you're hands. down one, right? There, yeah. I mean, it's a, it's a one one point game, and thirteen or fifteen or thirteen seconds left, and you don't want to give up a three in that situation. You can give up a two. That's what I thought. Yeah, yeah they, they sucked three. in. They all two three guys from Texas Tech. They sucked in they on Jerome. Early, yeah. Both guys. 
Yeah. And uh, and you you can give up the layup. Yeah, DeAndre up Hunter's three, defender. Right? Yeah, up three. DeAndre yeah. Hunter, you can give up a layup. You're yeah. still up one. You play the foul game because the Correct. shot clock's off. You still have the ball after you. And you get the ball, yeah. and you're up one. Um, DeAndre Hunter's defender tags into Jerome, and then also the one-up defender on who was on the with the guy in the Guard wing. In the wing. He, he also tagged down. Yep. So I saw Jerome had two options time. there, and he picked the right one because the quickest pass is from. Yeah. The paint to the corner. Sure. And that's the highest percentage three-point shot you can get. Hunter sank it. Um, tie the game. To, yeah, to tie the game. And then obviously we go into overtime. Texas Tech, I think Culver had a good look in that on that corner shot, kind of the similar to the Oak Hill uh, look. Yeah, to the Cam Thomas look. Cam Thomas's look. They had a sim- it's not, not the same play drop, but a similar thing to get a corner three. Uh, highest percentage shot behind the arc. And it just didn't go, so you go to overtime. And that's where we have a little more controversy. Uh, with 106 left in Virginia, up two, 75-73. Texas Tech guard, uh, Italian guard, David Moretti, got a defensive rebound. He's heading up court, um, you know, head down, not really knowing where he's going. Kyle yeah, Guy. A little panicky. A little panicky. On, on both teams, panic. Sure. That Kyle Guy yeah. reaches in when he crosses half court and kind of grabs him. Maybe that's a foul. And then DeAndre Hunter comes over on, on a double team, taps the ball out of his hand, and goes out of bounds. Initially, the ref... This is 106 left. The ref awards the ball to Texas Tech, obviously under two minutes at the college level. Now we can go to video review. Sure. And after the video review, they come back and say, nope, Virginia ball. Um, and they did so many slow motion, up close views, different angles. Well, yeah. Um, and they pulled sure, out all the camera angles. They pulled they, it all yeah. out. And it, it, to me, Ronnie, it looked like it went off the dude's pinky finger and out of bounds off of him. So it's... I think it's the right call, but I mean, when when does it get to a point where it's like we need like a, a, a it took forever to figure this out and yeah. the momentum of the game changed and all that. Oh yeah, it's a big whoa. Virginia's yeah, it's a big ball. moment. It's a national championship game. There's yeah. under a minute, like a minute almost changes your a whole strategy. Ago, changes yeah. the whole, yeah, whole changes strategy. the whole game. At what point do we do we need like a, a time limit on how long the refs can be there? What how do we fix? Yeah, that. Well, there's no way I think the trained eye and the human eye. Um, if it's, you know, Nips is, uh, pinky by, you know, uh, uh, a little millimeter. I, I'm not sure any ref's going to call that. Was that indisputable in, evidence? Yeah. Was going to call that, um, accurately in, in real life. Um, I noticed a few things on that play. I want to talk about, you know, the ball's coming long. I thought the Virginia player could have made a beeline to the ball and maybe might've been a bang, bang play and maybe forced to tie, tie up sure. or grab the ball himself. He kind of said, okay, I'm going to defer, get back on D to not give up the lap in case I don't get the ball. And then he tipped the ball so easily. It almost looked like he could have just put his hand in there and got the tie-up again. Yeah. The, the ball handler for, he was a little for shaky. Texas, he was a little shaky. Yeah. And the guy knocked it away easily. Right. Like, just go looked, grab it. It's like a little boy. <laughs> right, grab the ball. Yeah, grab the ball. Put your hand on the ball and force the tap. So, yeah, Moretti, obviously, it's a big pressure moment. So, he tried to make the right play, try to control the ball. And then, uh, you know... Uh, that changed the whole momentum of the game. The, the, what I want to say about that is it's interesting. We saw the replay 10 times. Yeah. About seven or at least seven times. I mean, it was a lot, man. They showed the replay a lot because we're waiting and you're watching the game at home, whatever you're doing, watching in the stadium. Imagine the stadium. It must have really felt like a long time. Yeah. Because it feels like a long time at home. So when you're there, it's like, whoa. Like, hurry up, man. I want to see the rest of this damn game. What's going on here? So um, I noticed after they may switch the call, they didn't show the replay again. Of course not. Which I thought. How now? I really want to watch it. And yeah. See, look at his finger. See, look. 
I thought that was kind of that's kind of like uh, that that hurts people's perception that the game is called fair and accurately. Yeah. Like show it again then because you switched the call. Yeah. You know, do we want and then after the game don't show us the layup in the first half. Show us the, the replay again. Because <laughs> that's the game. Right. They, right. If they I tie the you. game or take the lead, I Texas Tech can take the lead. Yeah. So it gets kind of people kind of like, man, come on. Is this yeah. rigged or is this, you know, this is crap. So uh, I think that's very, very interesting how that plays out. I, I uh, That's one thing I do know. So I do know because, again, I'm I'm involved in the media and I'm involved, I've been involved in broadcasts and, and production of games. Those are the kind of things that really stand out to me when I'm watching. You know uh, what they show, what they don't show, what they talk about. Right. But overall, it was a, a really good game. Right. I mean, yeah. a lot of people thought that it was going to be a boring defensive battle, as I said. Yeah. Uh, because you know it's two teams who actually play real basketball and execute and have set plays and have right. you know guys who can play in every position and they play solid defense. And now on on the line here we have our friend and legend Frank Burleson, who's seen I don't know how many Final Fours yeah. and national championship games Frank has seen, but Frank. Uh, I know you tweeted this is one of the best Final Fours you, you've seen maybe ever, but certainly in quite a while. Uh, give us your biggest takeaways on what you liked from that game last uh, Monday night. Uh, thanks for having me, uh, by the way, gentlemen. Uh, I, I think just is how, you know, for want of, um, you know, it's simplistic to say that, it's just how well played the game was. I mean, you think about oh, any of the championship games uh, that, or Final Four semifinals that were so-called classics. Uh, you know, I guess Kansas, Mrs. Uh, Memphis would be good. Uh, would be one to think about. Uh, the Kansas and uh, Syracuse when uh, would prove to be Roy Williams' last game in 2003 uh, in New Orleans when um, Carmelo Anthony certainly was a dominant performer. Uh, you know, the semifinals, the biggest semifinals that comes to mind in terms of classics is. Uh, Duke, uh, when Christian Leitner was a sophomore and Grant Hill was a freshman and, and early, I think, was a junior, uh, when they, uh, you know, snapped that UNLV, what was it, 50-game winning streak or whatever, and, and, and a game that, you know, sitting courtside to this day, uh, there was some questionable, questionable calls and all non-calls and technical uh, foul call against Greg Anthony, I remember, that was just flabbergasted. But hey, this one, there was no... You know, the, the biggest thing that I guess would be a, considered a controversy was the, the reversal off the replay of the ball that um, was at uh, Morelli's hand. Yeah, we just talked hand. about that right before you got on. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's probably the biggest thing close to a controversy or, you know, uh, a blemish, if you will. But in terms of both teams played great defense, there was no shots where you'd go, what the heck kind of shot was that? Nobody doing anything crazy, nobody screwing up. I mean, it was just two excellent, excellent teams uh, playing in a championship that was every bit as good, whether they had one or two pros. Or I think so many people, some of whom we know, tend to now gauge college basketball or Final Fours a championship game and how many future NBA players, how many lottery picks you know, how many future All-Stars or whatever are playing in the game. And in reality, that has nothing to do with the, the game. The quality of we, the play. We, all yeah. three of us have seen great, great high school games that are among the best we've ever seen. And it had nothing to do with, you know, sometimes it, you know they're inclusive, but it didn't have anything to do with, well, there's a future McDonald's All-American. Just great games, teams playing great basketball. And, and ultimately, I think when you look at guys like Culver and Hunter, and, and I think... 
certainly Kyle Guy and maybe Jerome are, are going to be pros playing in the NBA for, for a while. So there was certainly no shortage of quote-unquote NBA talent, although certainly, um, you know, it's never going to be what it used to be where, you know, each team had three or four lottery picks, especially if as anticipated the NBA Players Association ultimately uh, does away with the one and done and allows because, again, when LeBron and, and, and guys like that were going pro, there'd be six, seven high school guys, and, and I, my guess is Ronnie would agree with me, and, uh, and you would probably too. Then I think once that rule goes out the window, you're going to see 20 to 25 high school guys, at least initially, putting their name in and for draft consideration. So we may have seen, and, and, that, and that's fine if, if it's if it's a Virginia and Texas Tech and Michigan State and. Gonzaga a little bit, and what we saw of Auburn. Hey, if if that's the basketball we have to sell for, I don't think we have anything to worry about. Makes sense. Makes sense, Frank. Do you jumping ahead a little bit? Is that what you see and and think's going to happen? Obviously, we're in different times than the early two thousand and late nineties. The expectation level for high schools uh, and the yeah. parents, even the parents' expectation level. Do you think it's you're going to we're going to see you know twenty to thirty players? Declaring, and declaring, and yeah. none of them, even, and you know, half of them don't even really have a shot to stick. Is that what you think the initial well, wave I of mean, players is going to? We're going to see a, a larger percentage than half of these high school guys who are hiring agents or testing the waters yeah. uh, have a chance to be in the A. That doesn't stop. Yeah, I mean, uh, and again, this is kind of uh, going on a tangent, but I think it fits into what I'm trying to say about parents or players, uh, not only so much players' opinions of themselves, because we get it, every player should think he's greatest and aspire to be the greatest, but uh, we both have been around LeVar Ball uh, a lot, uh, long before ESPN and uh, the, the, the vast realm of so-called media types that have kind of put uh, LeVar Ball on the, on the spotlight or on the stage. Sure. I mean, I think the latest was he saying that, you know, Oh, my! Uh, Leangelo is better than Williamson. Well, again, put a microphone in, and how many parents we've been around, Devin or, or Ronnie, and they'd say the same things about their kid. If you say, "Hey, is your son better than somebody who's in the NBA? Is your son better than the guy who was McDonald?" Of course, again, that's what a father and mother says. Sure. But when, when when you when you give people like this a platform, all you're doing is going to get those kind of answers and. What do you expect to say? Is the dad to say, you know, uh, you know, Jello sucks or Mike? <laughs> yeah, well, especially I mean, again, the, especially the bar. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, this is an era, and you know, uh, Ronnie a little bit, and, and Devin came in at the tail end of it. But you know, that's what media is today. It's not Frank Burleson or, or any number of guys working at newspapers. Where if some parent makes a fool of himself, or some high school kid makes a fool of himself, bragging or something, we just you know, roll our eyes and say, okay, kid, whatever, okay, uh, Mr. Whatever, and, and, and save themselves yeah, embarrassment. Now save them the embarrassment. Now people are looking to yeah. create, you know, or capitalize on something outlandish that people are going to talk about and, you know, and, and as a result, you know, hit their websites or whatnot. Yeah, Frank, thanks for the perspective on the uh, national championship game, but I kind of want to move into the hiring um, of Mick Cronin at UCLA. Uh, you know him very well. I'm sure you knew him when he was a, a student at Cincinnati, maybe a grad assistant or, you know, so, so, something of that nature. But you know his coaching style. Uh, you know what he's all about, what he's going to bring. Give us your thoughts, initial thoughts, uh, knee-jerk reaction to the hiring of Mick Cronin uh, to be the next basketball coach at UCLA. Well, 
Well, I, I think uh, a couple things that come to mind is, first of all, he was kind of the last man standing. I mean, his, he was certainly a prominent name in, in the UCLA se- se- uh, selection process very, very early. I mean, two, three weeks ago, I mean, at least he was, he was in it. So it wasn't like, you know, suddenly, you know, Monday night, you know, uh, uh, Rick Barnes says no, and, and okay, who we go? Okay, let's just go. No, they've been talking to him and uh, vetting him, if you will, and, and doing their research. And I'm sure, you know, when you got a Bob Myers, who's obviously as clued in as there is in anybody in the NBA right now in terms of who the real coaches are and who are the guys that they respect in terms of how they run programs, how they coach teams. And more importantly, you know, how they develop players. Because, again, uh, contrary to a whole lot of trainers and stuff who want to think that they invented the, the, the game of player development, you know, player development does go on in, on the college level, too. And, you know, and even in high school to a certain degree. So, again, when you look at Nick Cronin's players at Cincinnati, Cumberland being a fine example. I mean, Cumberland was a guy that everybody kind of knew of. And he was on the EYBL circuit and things like that. But after, you know, kind of a couple, he got a little bit better every year. And this year was the American uh, Conference's Player of the Year over anybody from Houston. So, again, he, that's kind of his M.O. He played for his father, was a uh, an outstanding high school coach in the Cincinnati area. I mean, he worked for... Uh, Rick Pitino, he worked for Bobby Huggins. Uh, you know who used to always rave about him? Uh, Ronnie, you won't know this guy, but De- Devin certainly does. Is uh, Dr. Alexander at Long Beach State, mm-hmm. the former president who, you know, uh, hired uh, Dan Munson, who was the president when Dan Munson was hired, but he's also was the president at Murray State and was actively involved in the, in the hiring of Nick Cronin. So I remember right with Cronin had been hired at Murray State, and he had a couple good years, and then I think that's when he went to Cincinnati. Dr. Alexander, he just, just, about, just raved about him as just a, as a coach and a, and a real basketball guy. And it's funny, he said, now this guy's going to be a rising star, and this is a guy, I think, just like in his second or third year at Murray State. I think Dr. Alexander had, you know, kind of like the last thing he did was hired him before he before he came to Long Beach. So, uh, they got a good guy, and unfortunately, he's going to have a kind of a you know a stigma that well, you were the fourth guy on the totem pole or, or whatnot. But again, I don't think he cares about that. I mean, he didn't care about uh, cost of living. He didn't care about location. He didn't care about the fact that six o'clock, you know, in in, in a Thursday evening, there's going to be three thousand people in the pavilion in a national TV game. He just understood. I mean, he grew up. He had a, he had a father who grew up, obviously, and and knows what UCLA once was and what UCLA can be. And again, he's 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 a competitor, and he knows that uh, at UCLA he's going to probably have access to a higher quality of potential player or recruit, if you will. Than even he did against Cincinnati, where he's you know recruiting against you know Southeastern Conference and Big Twelve and Big Ten, obviously. To, I mean, he obviously got quality players, but again, uh, Cincinnati wasn't always probably first on the pecking order for the McDonald's All Americans of the region. Now you go to UCLA, and even you know with with, with the down year and the negativity, uh, the somewhat negativity surrounding the program, especially nationally. You know, UCLA is UCLA. It's just like USC, the parallel, uh, Devin, and we talked about this, Ryan. We talked about this. Parallel is USC in football. They could struggle. They could, you know, miss how many bowl games. They could do this. They could do that. They could lose tennis. It's still USC. The the elite football players, for the most part, yep. are still going to are still gonna, uh, consider. 
yeah. lean towards yeah. go to USC. And the same thing for basketball. UCLA is always going to be. I don't think, you know, people talk about, well, can I get players? I don't think any of, of UCLA's issues in terms of the, the turnover of coaches since Wooden retired uh, 44 years ago or whatever it was, I don't think it's ever been a, uh, a real big issue. Well, they just didn't have good enough players. Well, maybe they didn't have all the players they should have gotten or they missed on or they didn't evaluate correctly, but they always had pros. I mean, they've had elite pl- players, and they're always going to get them. So it's just what you do when you take those players. And you know, one thing is getting them. A lot of guys can get play- great players, but what you do once you get to them in terms of development and getting them to play – in a fashion that's consistent with the way the one, uh, coach wants to play and consistent with the way that you can be competitive in, in a conference, although it's certainly down right now. It, you know, it's not going to take but you know another recruiting cycle or two or a couple of years where the fringe guys, instead of going pros, they, they stay with some of the Pac-12 programs. Uh, Frank, I was talking to a prominent 220 player who's pretty highly re- regarded, and he kind of mentioned that... Um, he, when he was watching UCLA just as a as a player, as a young player, he he thought it was a little bit of Hollywood, and uh, you know they had a Hollywood persona. Yeah, he just that was his his take on it. Do you do you uh, subscribe to that notion a bit that he's going to bring toughness and 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 more accountability, or is it just a matter like you said of getting the right players, the amount of mind and mix of maybe one and done type talents and and talent that's going to stick around and just and just develop them? You know what what is, what is your take on that? Well, I, I think a couple things. Some of it's true. I mean, you know, yeah. the whole this gets back to the the, the yeah. decades or generations old theory yeah. that West Coast guys are soft. I mean, yeah. we we've yeah. certainly you know even when I was your, you guys' ages and, and you know way back when uh, you know you are the West Coast is soft and you're a bunch of surfers or you know people used to make fun fun of uh, Joel. I look at that surfer Joel and you know, <laughs> yeah. you know and all those kind of things. And again, it's cliches. And again. Toughness is a word I think that is used, tossed around uh, a little bit as, as a catch-all phrase. Like, well, we were not playing well. Why? Okay, because we're not playing tough enough. Okay, we're not doing this. We're not. In, well, we're not tough enough. Well, what's tough? Some people, sure. tough is, okay, I'm not shooting well. Let's just execute a little harder. Let's cut a little harder. Let's screen a little harder. Let's listen to our coaches a little harder. It's not, toughness isn't, you know, talking head or, or shoving somebody, or smacking them on a fast break, or, or you know, getting in their face after you score. That's not toughness. That's fake toughness. Toughness is following the game plan, playing the game at what it should be, in, and, and not letting adversity or uh, things not going as well as you hoped or prepared for it, not that, let that throw you for a loop and uh, throw you off your foundation that you, you've been taught and coached. Makes sense. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. I think he's... Cronin's going to bring what uh, what they need from that perspective in terms of being accountable and you know hitting the boards hard, not getting down on themselves if if they you know maybe have a bad stretch of a game or a, a half or something. I I do see that. Frank, last thing before we let you get out of here and get back to your uh, you know, evaluating and report writing, what is the first thing Mick Cronin needs to do um, as soon as he steps foot on the campus at Westwood, besides from calling you? What's the first thing after he call after he calls you? What should he do? Well, I, I, I think for all coaches, it doesn't matter where you're going, um, whether you're going to UCLA, where you're going to Nevada, which is, is a job that just opened up, or anywhere. I mean, 
be it, you know, Big East, ACC, Big Ten or whatever, or, you know, the WCC or Pac-12 or, excuse me, uh, the Big West or Big Sky or whatever. Okay, you got to have a staff. you got to have a staff that you're comfortable with, that you're uh, – that – Know that you know is going to be on the same page as you as a head coach in terms of uh, how you administer your program on and off the court, how you teach uh, philosophically. Are you surrounded by guys who challenge you as a coach and add to what you already know about the game? And then certainly, again, you know, no matter what we talk about coaching and development and character and things like that, it still comes down to best quality prospects and again and he's recruited out here he's been out here a lot for events and you know he's a, he's a basketball guy so he, he knows who's who uh, like on the uh, you know the grassroots scene out the west I mean he probably knows everybody so uh, remember they recruited Logan Johnson from, from, from up north so again he knows he's uh, but he's got to you know be it people who he knows across the country or people out here in the region not just Southern California, but the region who just, okay, not only can they tell me who the players are, not only can they evaluate, not only can they sell the program, not only are they going to help us uh, be able to walk into any home and, and have uh, have somebody that, even if they don't know me, uh, the parent or the club coach or the you know the Ryan Silvers, the Atopes, the whoever it is, that they feel comfortable with too. So he's got to find, again, be it current college player, whoever it is, current uh, college coach or somewhere, you know, he's got to have somebody on the staff who can kind of, you know, I hate to say show him the ropes, but can kind of, the lay of the land is probably the other thing. Okay, here's who we need to talk to. Here's the real players. Here's the guys who will help us. Here's the guys who will, you know what I mean? So that you, you get, okay, now, now you can, instead of just willy-nilly getting the master, you know, ESPN or 24-7 or, or rivals list and say, okay, here's, who they rank the top players, and let's just start calling blindly. No, you want to, you know, perhaps there's a player on that list that's not on that list that a UCLA should recruit, or somebody on the list that maybe just in reality is not going to fit into the way that, uh, in this case, Mick Cronin wants to play. So you got to surround yourself and, and put a staff together before you, you know, there's certain things to do. I mean, I would assume, I, I don't know this for a fact, but like, you know, like Cassia Stanley or somebody, or Jaden McDaniels, who are, who are still. Uh, in theory, recruiting UCLA and kind of seeing, okay, who are you going to hire before we make a decision? Now, obviously, uh, along with hiring a staff and figuring out you know, where your hotel is located that you're going to be sleeping in for a while, you also want to be able to uh, reach out to uh, players like Stanley or McDaniels or, or whoever else might they might still be involved with or can be involved with and, and do the best you can because, you know, the what is it, Ronnie, a couple of weeks before the spring uh, signing period starts. So that's yeah. certainly, you know, got to be a, a very, very, very first priority uh, equal to or maybe even superior to uh, in terms of getting, you know, getting your staff together. Frank, thanks so much for coming on. We appreciate your knowledge. And uh, uh, just, be, just be cash when I see you guys this weekend. Are we <laughs> getting my address of the check? Or yeah. just send uh, me a backup truck with all kinds of, uh, Bala's life gear, or how I'll, this works? I'll pay. I'll pay for your parking over at Momentus and ASC this weekend. <laughs> <laughs> I think we're both going to be paid for it the same way. <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right, Frank. Appreciate it, man. All right, guys. See you Thank guys you. This weekend. Thanks for having me. Bye bye. Frank Burleson. Um, it doesn't really get as straight 
forward as as that. Yeah, that, that uh, was a straight get... forward pass, like Kie's pass in that Elite Eight game. Yeah, just straight forward, right Ki- on the right Ki- on the money. Kie to Diakite. Um, before we welcome on our next guest, who is uh, Chris Johnson, former UCLA player, four-year guy. He was a member of the last team in UCLA, UCLA's last national championship team in 1995. Let's just go over a quick resume check on on Mick Cronin. Uh, he was a head coach at Murray State for three years in the 2000s, had a 69-24 and 24 record. He was the head coach at Cincinnati for the last 13 years, uh, nine NCAA tournament appearances with, straight, the, with last the Bearcats, nine. the last nine. Yeah. Um, 296 and 147 overall there. His overall record for 16 years as a head coach is 365 and 171. He's clearly, that's a 68.1% winning percentage. That's, that's that's really good. Really good. Um, like we said, been been to the NCAA tournament 11 times, twice with Murray State, nine times with Cincinnati. But this is where the question comes in. He's 6-11 and 11 in NCAA tournaments. Uh, he has advanced to one Sweet 16, no further than that. Um, so... I think it goes to the point Frank said. We know he can get it done, and 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 he's going to have a winning program. I think whether it takes a year or two, he's going to be getting UCLA in the right direction. Is he going to get this fan base, which is different than Cincinnati's sure. fan base, excited? He's going to have to get them past the Sweet Sixteen a few times, right? In the next, in the, you know, three to four years. Um, that's just the nature of the beast. I think Frank alluded to that a little bit, and get the right players in there in terms of. Uh, talent, the talent, and the talent and that will stay, of, and a mix of yeah, yeah talent that will stay. stay. Yeah, definitely. Um, I, but I, I see think the that. key is to get the fan base jazzed up. I really do. Well, I think he'll get them fast jazzed up by winning seventy percent, okay, consistently of the games. Right. Once they get over the, once they find out who he is, I I don't think the average fan in LA right now knows that much about Mick Cronin. Sure. So once especially they, an average start, LA fan. Yeah, they start you know googling him. Oh, he was at Cincinnati. He's won this many games. They're going to know, say, okay, he has a basketball resume. Who's he going to have on his staff? Who's he bringing in? Is he getting Cassius? Is he getting, you know, McDaniels? Is he getting, getting uh, right. Jalen Green? Right. Uh, you know, does he get, you know, that what type kind, of thing? What, what recruiting style is he going to bring? Is he, yeah. is he trying to go for those t- one and done type talents, mm-hmm. top ranked players, things like that? Or is he going to go yeah. for the rugged, gritty kind of guys? That he got at Cincinnati. Um, and I think we have a guy on, on the phone now, uh, Chris Johnson, a four year player at UCLA, 1995 NCAA. Uh, national champion, uh, Chris, Mick Cronin, uh, now the UCLA coach after, I mean, we months long search with, you know, lots of offers going out to, you know, high level coaches who ended up turning them down. What's your initial reaction to, to this hire? Uh, first of all, what's up? Thanks guys for having me. Oh on. yeah. Thanks um, Chris. My, my, my first uh, initial reaction was a sense of relief. Okay. Um, it was a sense of, Okay, thank God, because, you know, we had the national media, basically the entire basketball world breathing down our necks. We were the laughing stock of the basketball world because of this search and how long it was drawn out, how it was handled, how much about the search at every step of the way was getting leaked to the media, which, in my opinion, did affect um, some of these guys turning us down. Now, Mick Cronin, you know, if you if you if you if you if you listen to UCLA Nation, the fan base right now, you think he's you know he was a bum, but the reality is he's been a nine straight tournament. He's you know a Cincinnati lifer. He was at Cincinnati during a time period when I played as an assistant, where I had a lot of respect for them guys, and he had a, a direct hand in recruiting guys like Demar Johnson, Kenny Satterfield, Jason Maxfield, 
um, Steve Logan. I mean, I can go down the list, but those were an impressive bunch. So that's the first thing I thought uh, when, it, when, when I got word it was Mick Cronin. I was relieved, and, and I was like, okay, now we've got a guy that's going to come in here. You know, he's tough as nails, has a reputation for being a hard ass, which I think is, you know, a little bit of what UCLA basketball needs right now. Yeah, we, we kind of talked about that earlier. Uh, I was talking to a 220 kid who's really highly regarded, Chris, and he was kind of mentioning, well, UCLA's good and they're UCLA, but they, they, you know, they're more worried about Rico Hines' summer runs than they're worried about getting in the gym and winning games at times. You know, that type of thing where people are worried about things that are on the peripheral and not like winning games and getting to the you know Elite Eight, getting to the Final Four, and that that's what they needed more, uh, whether it's focus on or whether they needed, a little, like you said, a little more grit. I think you guys, when you go back to your championship team, you guys had enough of the high-level end talent that can get you those wins, but also some of the gritty guys that were going to stick around three and four years and, and, and help the guys get better on the bench, help the guys, the starters, push the starters, that type of thing. Um, I think that's where Mick Cronin is, is good at, and, and hopefully the fan base can see that. Again, he's not going to... What do you think his leash is going to be or in terms of... How many seasons are, are fans going to, you know, say, okay, he's building and he's going to get there? Yeah, I mean, fans are obviously going to be in a short leash. Yeah. We live in this in this world now where we want everything to happen overnight. But yeah. uh, I truly I truly feel like with the current core of returners coming back and, you know, whatever else they can pick up in, in the meantime and in between time, shoot, I think we're a tournament team next year as far as UCLA basketball. I know that might sound a little like braggadocious, but <laughs> Mick Cronin's Mick, Mick's been to nine straight tournaments with, and I'm not knocking Cincinnati guys, but with guys that you know don't have necessarily the stars next to their name, but they got you know they got heart, they play hard, and that's what to me this is a, a good fit because we need a coach that's gonna light a fire under our butt. Yep. Uh, you know there are times in, in, during the season, especially this, this last season where, you know, it just looked like we, we were uninterested or, you know, we, we, we had better things to do than play a basketball game. And, you know, I guarantee you, playing under Mick Cronin, there would not be one moment of that. And I think UCLA fans will appreciate and respect that. Yeah, Chris, you, I mean, you played at every, basically every level of basketball. You've coached at basically every level of basketball. For someone like me, when I see kids coasting or trying to be too cool or playing for the cameras, those aren't the guys that I want on my team as a college coach. Is that the kind of mindset you think Cronin is going to bring to this UCLA squad? A similar kind of recruiting style to what he did at Cincinnati, bringing dogs? Well, you know, I, I hope so. Yeah. I'll say this. I hope so. I'll say, you know, back in, for some reason we get this idea that, you know, and, I, and understandably so, but four stars, five stars, those are your best options. But I'm a true believer in, you know, these three stars, these guys with a chip. Give me somebody that's got a chip that feels like he got something to prove 365 days out the year, okay, every practice, every rep, I mean, I'd rather have a three-star dog than your four-star, you know, where he looks good on paper, but production-wise, what is he doing? You know, as far as culture-wise in that locker room, what is he adding? You know, I think that's been an issue at UCLA uh, the last couple of years. It's like, we, you know, it seems like we, we just personnel-wise, we need more dogs, more people that are going to challenge the starters on the bench. Not saying that wasn't the case this year with the freshmen who did a great job, but, you know, I just get the sense that Mick Cronin's going to come in there bringing his type of player, you know, and whatever, you know, whatever else he gets. I think he'll find some of the diamonds in the rough, some of the gems that get uh, that get out of the West Coast, that get out of California, uh, a kid from, uh, you know, Virginia, uh, Clark, and some of these other gems 
I think that a Mick Cloney could see the value in those and would appreciate the value in a guy like that uh, more so than uh, maybe, you know, the, the previous coach at UCLA. Uh, Chris, talking from a player's perspective from your, your side, like I know you talk to some guys, you guys, you, you have banner on Twitter, you watch what's going on, like a guy like a Ryan Hollins or former players. As you said, as this was being played out, you guys are UCLA, you're a proud program, you know, 11 national titles, whatnot. What were you guys saying among the players? Like, man, this is, what are they doing here? What What was the, the thought process among former players, whether you guys talk on the phone or on social media? And uh, what are you guys going to do as players to support this staff, you know, going forward? Yeah, and I, I'll tell you what, we have a group chat that is, is you know, more popping than any Twitter timeline you could ever imagine. <laughs> and, and a lot, of, and a lot of, of some of your illustrious recent UCLA stars are members of it. I'm not going to yeah. uh, out this group chat. Or, sure, or we're not members, naming names. Yeah. <laughs> uh, they'll kill me, but I'll tell you this. You know, we are on the same page, and we do talk about it in depth. We are sharing links to articles, and we hear everything that's being said. And, and, and we're at the point now where we're grown men, and that, that, that stuff, we understand it now. We understand that we need a strategy. And, and as, you, as former players, it's one thing to go on Twitter and, and engage in all the banner and trash the coach or, you know, support the coach, whatever you choose to do uh, from your social media handle. But behind the scenes, as grown men, as alums of UCLA basketball that care about the program, care about the success, more importantly, of the program, hey, we, we want to, you know, just do things that, that are, are a unified effort that's going to help this current coach succeed. And whatever that looks like, we are open to, we are ready for the you know, athletic department to use us however we need to use us. And, and that's just kind of how we're going about it. Um, just, it makes no sense to, you know, get, you know, go down in the, in the, in the, uh, the depth of, of the, of the internet and, argue is you know i did it i did it a little bit but we spent one day doing that stuff you know we let it go we stopped fighting with the fans earl kind of brought us all back to earth you know talking about coach quoting some stuff coach wood and how we're acting as a family and we all realized hey you know we're the leaders of this ucla family whether we like it or not or really know it or not people do look up to us so it's important for us to uh, be on the same page about things not saying guys don't have individual thought processes or individual opinions but you know, when we move, you you guys will see pretty uh, pretty soon here. We move as a group, and and hey, we're all about supporting the coach, his staff, whoever it is that he hires, and the program. Chris, as far as who he hires, I know you were vocal about uh, supporting Earl Watson for the head coach position. Um, yep. Would Earl Watson be a guy who would be a, a hire as an assistant? Uh, you know, to to bring that UCLA blood into this staff and you know he has he has ties locally recruiting wise do you think that would be you know a good first step for Cronin you know that's an interesting question you know I I, I don't know I, I really I have not discussed that with Earl just as far as his willingness to accept uh, that type of scenario I know right. that you know it's been pretty publicized you know uh, it's pretty publicized the, the, the process with Earl there's been some articles coming out we know that Earl needs to finish school first also and that's going to be in June um you know he's going to be done by then and so there's a lot of things that are involved with that that I really can't provide you know a straight up answer but I will say that hiring one of us a UCLA guy a player that that is a coach is the move uh you need to have West Coast ties you need a dog of a recruiter not not just players but you need somebody that will get out there and grind and I think that you know if it's not Earl if, if, if there's a, there's ties Edney there's other guys candidates out there that would make sense, but I do know that it is, it is essential that he makes that hire 
um, or he's gonna. It's just gonna be an interesting road to navigate out here in these recruiting waters. You guys know better than anybody how tricky it is out here, and we've seen it in the past with Ben Howland and just how he kind of handled and mishandled things. Uh, you know, as some people would say uh, uh, during the, the latter in his tenure. So, and Steve Alford as well. So you you got to kind of just chill a little bit and, and just see how things play out. Chris, I think the key to life is relationships, and I think the key to the UCLA job is relationships in Southern California. Um, thanks so much for your time, man. We appreciate you jumping on on short notice, and uh, I'm sure we're going to have you back on at some point soon. Oh, looking forward to it, guys. Thanks for having me. Have a great rest of your day. Likewise, my thanks, friend. Thanks, Chris. So Chris Johnson, um, former UCLA player, we, we already ran through his resume. Yeah. Uh, he, he, he made some, some really good points, man. I mean – it's it it's got to be a balance. It's got to be a balance of relationships with local club programs, local high school teams. Obviously, that's how you get players. Um, but also bringing in the right guys who can uh, portray UCLA in the light that it needs to be portrayed in, and that's bringing in a guy who's played in the program or been around the program at it when it was at its best. Do you sure. agree with that? Yeah, I I, I see that, Devin. Uh, I he made a good point about. Uh, the guys getting together and maybe whether it's going to games together a few times or somebody being on staff and and just sitting there. When I watch UCLA games, um, you know, in the last few years, all I hear about is goofy anecdotes about Bill Walton, but I don't yeah. hear about much about whether it's uh, like Ed and Charles, you know, Chris Johnson, Baron Davis, Baron Davis. Those guys are like, oh, they're not sitting behind the bench. No, like they should be like hey, cheering them on, right? Yeah, cheering them on a little bit. I think they need a little bit more of that to show like, Hey, this, I want to go here because they really care about the on-court stuff and not just, I'm in LA, I'm at UCLA. This is, you know, Holy grail. It, yeah. That's great. But they've won one title in 45 years. They right. need to get it done on the court. They gotta inject with, some f- some fire or something. Yeah. They gotta, yeah. you know, it's gotta be like uh, from, the, from the ground up an alumni thing. I, yeah. Um, so I get it. I'm with them. What they yeah, need yeah. to get a former UCLA player or a former player who's yeah. in that realm, you know, that has some experience recruiting. Knows the Ryan Silvers. Knows the, the, the Dinoses. Knows the Atopes. Knows the Letton, the Waters. Yeah. Cause they got Yeah, they gotta get assistance. The bridge. So, the so, bridge to, to to what Cronin wants to do. Right. And then. then once you get that done, once you get that taken care of, you got to get assistants who not only know the game and who are willing to get in the gym to help guys yeah. get better. Yeah. You got to get guys who are willing to be like, I hate the term, but grinders. Guys yeah. who get out and watch high school games, watch all club over. games, yeah. go to practice all over. Uh, there's a couple guys, uh, especially in the Big West Conference, who do a really nice job of that. Um, but there's a lot of lazy assistant coaches out there, dude. You, you yeah. and I see it. Sure. It's like there's some col- local colleges, local schools, local D1 schools that I go to hundreds of high school. You and I go, both go to hundreds of high school games every single season, and we don't see those guys ever. And no, we're yeah. at games not only with sleeper prospects or lower, lower level ones. games, we're yeah. also at the games with the higher higher level games with higher level players and mid-tier players. They need players. to be more visible. Yeah, you, you got to be visible. You've got to be out there. you got to be wearing your UCLA gear. Uh you know, you got to be known, and it's got to you got to show interest in these guys, and just be on people's asses at all times. Yeah, I think that was one thing. Um, now, Jim Herrick, let's go back to Jim Herrick, who was Chris's coach at at UCLA. He was a high school coach at Morningside High School. He coached at the lower level. He was at Pepperdine. Now, I don't know his complete coaching tree all the way up. Frank would know, but yeah, Frank, he was at call, Pepperdine. Let's call him back, yeah. Frank. How much more? How much? How much money yeah. we need to get you back yeah. on? <laughs> so you know, uh, you know, he was at Pepperdine and recruited the next tier of players and had some very good players, and they did play in the NCAA tournament. 
I think they might have even played Maryland with Land Bias in the tournament, if, yeah. I, if I'm not mistaken, Pepperdine. So then he got the UCLA job, and when he got the UCLA job, it wasn't the first, wasn't the first, um, you know, maybe guy that they wanted. Um, and and uh, it was like, once he got out there, people, when he was in a high school gym, people kind of noticed. And I think they that got a little lost in there, um, you know, with whether it was Howland or, or after that with, with Alford a little bit. Yeah, I never saw uh, Steve Alford in a Southern California gym. Yeah, you know, yeah. like was, Jim Herrick was like, "Oh, that's the coach at UCLA. Right, he's here for so and so." We got people excited. He got them interested. You know, like you said, they were a little more int- The general was a little public was a little more interested in it. Okay, and that's what they need. Is that back. because the team was better? Is that the why team, you think the team was better? And because the Maybe the personality of Herrick is, Herrick is hilarious. Yeah, man. Herrick's a funny yeah, he's guy. Funny guy. Yeah, he's, he's a, personable. He's a personable guy, and and they had that status, and they had that status because of the players. I kind of joke with people, and and, and it would be with, uh, something like I could joke with with Chris about is like when he was playing in the guys before him, whether it was the O'Bannons, and even before him, remember like a Trevor Wilson, those guys, they had status mm-hmm. in the in town. Man, that's a UCLA player role. Right, right. Now it's like. Just another guy. They like, need, you go do an open run, and people will be like, "Man, yeah, he's a UCLA guy." He Big plays deal. You. Okay, that's, that's all right. That's okay. Yeah, because like you said, it goes to the winning, but it goes to what you're portraying as a program and what the alumni is portraying. So I think Chris is right. You know, the, the alumni need to be more active and vocal and and together to, hey, this is the, our program. And involved is, in the program, yeah, like hands on, involved hands in the program, yeah. wearing their shirts, you yeah, know, yeah, talking to kids, whatever. You know, so that that whatever it is you do to to build it up, because I see that with Duke. You know, you see a lot of his former players are now assistants, Coach K. Yeah, yeah. You know, they're all over. They're at Duke, but they're all over too because they they built that up. You you know, Wojo. You, uh-huh. you see uh, Marquette, Nate, yep. Nate James. Yep. You know, there's other guys that we see on the on the on the circuit, but you don't see that as much with UCLA guys. Like you know, Sean Farnham's out there. Ryan Hollins. They're more in the. They're media. on TV though. They're yeah, TV, they're media guys. Yeah. But they need to be more involved in like together. Like hey, you know, in just terms of I'm glad that they got this recruit. Uh, yeah, I see him know. on Twitter. Yeah. I've seen him on Twitter. Uh, a lot of those guys on Twitter like yeah. congratulating, welcoming Cronin mm-hmm. to UCLA to Westwood. And so that's that's, that's great. That's a really good start. Yeah, um, they need to keep it up and, and, and be involved. Because, yeah, w- like sometimes as you said it's dull there. Yeah, and then if they're not playing well, it gets real dull. Right, and Cr- it needs to be an exci- uh, 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 air of excitement, kind of like the Pete Carroll, Reggie Bush USC days. It, it was just exciting for everybody. Yeah. They need a little bit of that, like you said, somehow. Well, I don't I mean, know how. I mean, winning's part of it, but they need it. The gr- the girls' gymnastics teams, they were selling out the damn arena. <laughs> and the basketball team couldn't even get, like, 3,000 yeah. people in the door. Wow. Imagine, like, yeah. I mean, the gymnastics team, that squad, is, I mean, you watch the videos, and, like, people are all into it. And, like, they're doing cool floor routines and things like that. And it's just, like, yeah. the product is there. Like, the people enjoy there, watching yeah. it. You've, you've got to be able to enjoy watching it. And the UCLA basketball team, yeah. you know, ever since the, Lon- the Lonzo Ball, TJ Leaf years were, you it know. Was one year, yeah. One year was, was – People were in the gym. That was a, that was a Exciting. fun team to watch. But yeah. there's there, there's ups and downs that UCLA fans and alumni and people you know involved with the program aren't used to. Um, and ups and they had ups and downs on this. Uh, they had a lot of downs actually in the in the coaching search. Chris touched on it, but I want us to kind of touch on it as well. The coaching search. I mean, Jesus, it's all played out in public. All in public. So yeah. you offer John Calipari a job, but you you don't offer him as much money as he's already he's making, making at Kentucky. To come west for a, a cost of living that's got to be like two times, three times higher, three times higher than yeah. <laughs> Mexican Kentucky. Like, yeah. So you, first, then he goes back and like literally says, "I was never leaving Kentucky." Like I listen to people yeah. when they call me, but Kentucky always knows when I'm talking to another program. 
Yeah. So Kentucky's and, like, here, dude, we'll give you another six-year deal. You're, don't worry about you it. You can coach here as long as you want to for as much yeah. money as you want. So that was strike one. Yeah, and that was very interesting because Kentucky's where they want to be. Even though Kentucky's only won one title, yeah. they're, they're where they want to be. But it's what they're portraying. It's what the, the, it goes the back identity what that the they're I- portraying. right? Yeah, that they're serious, that they're basketball school, and people are supporting. They're putting out and one And the former talent. players are supporting. Right. You know, we even saw that. I haven't really watched that one completely, but the... The one and not done. The 30 for 30. Yeah. Calipari just seems ingrained and invested with his players, where it's Derrick Rose, whether and then he played at Memphis. Memphis, but, right. But yeah. it's still the same thing. Boogie Cousins. All the way through. They, John they Wall. All, they all like to be involved with what he's saying. I think UCL needs a little I mean, bit of that. I mean, they had Drake in the layup lines. I mean, he's yeah. airballing three-pointers. And everybody's and like, going crazy. Everyone's going crazy and loving it. Yeah. That's what. That's the kind of stuff that, like, I mean, it, it, looks, it, looks, it looks kind of... Goofy, goofy and dorky, but, but players like that. Seventeen year olds like that. They love that. Yeah, especially nowadays. Like you've got to, you really have to change the way you recruit and the yeah. way you portray your program yeah. to the current state of seventeen, eighteen, and sixteen year olds, whomever you're recruiting, because yeah. it's all about like, oh, oh. am I going to get pictures? Oh, yeah. is there going to be mixtape guys there? Stuff like whatever that. Whatever it is, whatever yeah. it is to get bring attention and uh, anything like that. You've got to be able to do that. So second strike, Jamie Dixon. Uh, grew up, went to Sherman Oaks, Notre Dame High School, yeah. am I right? Yeah. Grew up in Sherman Oaks. Uh, he's a local if you're not guy. from here, he's a local guy. It's probably 20 yeah. miles up the up the 10 miles up the yeah. 405, whatever. Oh, from trafficy, but tra- yeah, it'll take you 75 minutes yeah. to get there. But it's thir- 45 minutes away, but it's <laughs> seven miles up the up the coast. <laughs> right. He, up the field. They mean. tried. They tried him. TCU yeah. coach was at Pittsburgh. Had yeah. success at both programs. Uh, they wouldn't. They, they would pay five million of the eight million dollar buyout. Wouldn't pony up the extra three to get him. So that was strike two. Ronnie, give me your quick thoughts on that one. Yeah, that's. <laughs> That shouldn't be. I mean, it's kind of embarrassing. You're, we're we're you're, laughing right now because I mean, Chris said it was embarrassing. It is embarrassing because you're trying to. The highest end coaches are being paid eight, nine, ten million. I'm assuming Coach K, you know, Cal, with and, incentives, and yeah, and ten you, million bucks, and you can't, you know, pony up three million. <laughs> then you're not serious. You're telling everybody you're not that serious about this. That's what they're portraying. Like you said, when there's, when there's not a, you know, when you're when you're not irate or. The fans don't care that you're not in in, in the tournament. That's what you're portraying. Sure. You know, if do you do you really care about winning and yeah. having a winning basketball program? Yeah, you gotta care. Do you really care? Yeah, that's what it boils down to. And we're gonna find out if they do because we'll see how this plays out. I'm you know I'm excited to see what Mick Cronin can do because yeah. the whole Pac-12 needs a, a shot in the arm. Yeah, it's been like we said they were much maligned this year. Um, they have some good recruits coming in. Yeah. Isaiah Stewart going to Washington. Isaiah Mobley, you know, Onyeko Okongwu going to SC. See, yeah, you got Nico Manning who's going to go to Arizona. Arizona. Josh like, Green no going what, to Arizona. No matter what, that he's going there regardless. That's another thing I <laughs> yeah, touched about. Yeah, uh, we got to talk about that another time. But. And the Avenatti stuff that's going to keep coming out. Yeah. Are they even going to have, you know, is all this stuff, what's going to look like in six months? We don't know. So it's, it's we're waiting like everybody else. But, um, you know, it was an exciting college season, exciting yeah. high school season. Uh, we're gonna, you know, get into the future weeks a little bit more into you know what we're seeing, watching. Um, I'll be at the Jordan Brand on January. I'm sorry, January. April twenty. <laughs> I want the season to continue. Uh, April twentieth, we got the Balls Life game on May fourth. So we're gonna see some higher end players, but we're gonna be watching players for the future classes and younger players too, just to kind of see you know as we as we do reports, as we as we do stuff on BallsLife.com, as, as we. Uh, you know, continue to move forward with the new wave of players. Obviously, these two 19s will be going to college, and we're we're happy to see them go off. Hopefully, they have the careers they do. And yeah, like we said, we'll see what what like what Frank said. Are they going to get Cassius Stanley? Yeah. Are they going to? You so know, still a lot of, the, there's still a lot of things they got yeah, to do to make of, this successful for 1920. Right. A lot of undecided. You know, 
Yeah, pretty Jaden top McDaniels. end, top end talent that could uh, are are considering UCLA as a legit uh, option know, option for their to play college basketball. Um, so we'll see how that how that goes. Obviously, um, we're going to wrap it up now. Uh, special thanks to, to Frank Burleson and Chris Johnson for joining us today on the on the episode. And uh, Ronnie, you got anything else to add? Or are we good to go? Yeah, I think um, appreciate the folks tuning in. Um, you know, and like I said, this is we don't know. This thing that we see on Twitter with, you know, now this lawyer, you know, throwing all these allegations out. We kind of mentioned it. They didn't mention it on any of the NCAA tournament broadcasts. Which not we once. Kinda, not yeah. once. But, I mean, it seems like it looms large. Is this all just crap from, a, you know, a, a lawyer that's, that's you know, under indictment? Under looking, his for own, yeah, yeah. looking for the limelight. Looking for I don't know. I don't think so. We don't, yeah. we'll, we'll get, we're going to bring you that more on that. We're going to do some research, pull yeah, up all and this more stuff. stuff that, has to come out. Yeah, I think, it's going to come out. You know, it was kind of mentioned uh, the subpoenas that there's some wiretaps there of of somebody mentioning that you know you have a coach talking about what Zion Williamson's uh, camp or, or family wanted. So that's very interesting. You know that if he wants, if one school is saying, "Well, this is what he wants," how did he end up at Duke then? There, there we <laughs> I mean, go. He just magically ended up at Duke, but all the other schools want, you know, he was, he wanted things to go to the other schools, but not Duke, you know, so that's going to be very interesting. How much is that brought to the NCAA? Right. Like, are they going to use that and open up multiple investigations? We already have investigations going. I think Sean Miller and Will Wade already have subpoena dates. Right. So it's going to keep going. So where does this leave us in six months? And then we got this whole new realm of, of the the events that we should hit on real slightly, Devin, the the like the the camps at the end of July. Sure. And then USA Basketball is bringing in the high end guys for July 25th through July 20th during that third live period. That's going to be something different where there's live coaches in in Colorado Springs. You know, um, where who's going to be at these camps? Then you got the Section Seven camp, June 21st to 23rd. Yeah, in Arizona. That, that, that yeah. California teams are going to. Right, it's going to be pretty good. Yeah, based on know, who their advertising is going to be there. Yeah, Bosco's going to be there. Yeah, uh, Rancho Christian probably. Rancho Christian. So. As, as high school teams. So we, we just don't know how this is all going to play out. You know, we're going to see it for the first time. And what we see, we're going to try to bring as best we can to you guys. But the good thing is you have two inside guys here who are going to see most, if not all that, of it. That, and we're yeah. going to bring you everything we know as soon as we know it. Uh, that'll do it for this episode of the In the Paint Show presented by Ball is Life. Thank you guys for joining us. Make sure to listen on SoundCloud, uh, subscribe on iTunes, do all that good stuff for us to help us keep this thing rolling. Devin Newland, Ronnie Flores, Hard in the Paint, signing off.